Welcome to the Cool Tools Show. I'm Mark Frauenfelder, Editor-in-Chief of Cool Tools, a website of tool recommendations written by our readers. You can find us at cool-tools.org. I'm joined by my co-host, Kevin Kelly, founder of Cool Tools. Hey, Kevin. Hey, it's great to be here. In each episode of the Cool Tools Show, Kevin and I talk to a guest about some of his or her favorite uncommon and uncommonly good tools they think others should know about. Our guest this week is D.L. Cade. D.L. is an art, science, and technology writer and the former editor-in-chief of the photography blog Petapixel. When he's not writing, he works in the Knights Lab at the University of Washington, studying color vision. Hey, D.L., how's it going? Great. How are you doing, Mark? It's nice really to well. be on. Yeah. Yes, and it's really nice to meet you. I've been a reader of you for a very long time because Petapixels is one of my daily go-to sites, in part because um, photography has been a big part of my life for many, many, many years, and um, you guys do a great job. Petapixel was one of my recommended um, places that I that I suggest people go to if they want to keep up with photography, and you guys have been great, doing a great job. Uh, well, thank you so much. I mean, uh, it's it's always weird to hear. I mean, even eight years in, it's always weird to hear that that people that I know and admire actually read what I write. You know, in the end, it still feels like some blog, some small blog to me. Uh, well, it is some small blog, but it's uh, a really, really good small blog. So yeah. that's what the that's what to me. It's one of the great things of the internet is that you can have these little corners where there's excellence and um, a bunch of people who um, appreciate it. So you're doing a mm -hmm. good job. Well, thank you. So tell us about your, um, your choices here. So some cool tools, um, broadly speaking, anything that's handy, tell us what's first on your list. Oh man. Well, I went a little bit all over the place. Um, I mean, uh, obviously as, as you can tell from the varied career path, I'm uh, I kind of straddle two worlds here. I've been a writer for eight years. I my degree is in biomedical sciences. I briefly attended medical school and then dropped out, much to my parents' chagrin. <laughs> uh, but uh, and then now I'm I'm uh, intending to get my PhD in neuroscience, which is why I'm working in the Knights Lab. Um, but, uh, I tried to kind of run the gamut and the first thing that I had listed was, uh, just probably one of my, my favorite book of all time. It's a book of essays called, uh, all I really need to know I learned in kindergarten by Robert Fulgham. And, uh, you guys have probably heard of that story. The, uh, the actual essay used, it used to go around right. on, uh, on Xerox. email blast. Yeah. 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 It's, uh, it's, sort I don't of, know about the story. Oh man, they turned it into posters. He used to come home with kids from kindergarten. He was—he was, a, mean, he was, was actually a, I believe he might have been a pastor. He was a pastor, mm -hmm. and he would write his um, sermons, and um, then he was sharing his sermons, and they were being passed around as kind of like some stuff, you know, as kind of underground mm -hmm. copies. And a a book agent somewhere encountered. Uh, a kind of a stapled together stack of these and said, these are fantastic. Who, where, where'd they come from? And it was this guy up in, I don't know, Washington somewhere who was uh, a nobody at the time. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. At the time he actually was, was living in Seattle. I think he lives in like Arizona or Utah or something now, but he, uh, I, I stumbled across this book actually on an, on an ex-girlfriend's bookshelf. Uh, she had a first edition of it and I just would pick it up when there was a spare moment and read one of the 
essays. And it's just this really, he has this ability, like some of the best essayists and columnists do, of just capturing something that seems really banal and simple and, you know, everyday life stuff and making it seem so extraordinary and kind of bringing you back into appreciating everyday life, uh, which has been more important than ever this year, I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I haven't read it in a long time, but you've just reminded me I should check it out. Um, he was actually a fan of whole earth and, um, cool. I had a chance to actually meet him oh, wow. briefly. Um, we have, there was a little hiccup in the story, but that's neither here nor there. And, um, he, uh, yeah, I think he moved to like Moab or somewhere in Utah and, um, you know, but he he was as you might expect the person of the of, of that author of those ones. He was a very kind of gentle, um, direct, pastoral kind of a person uh -huh. who was a great listener. Yeah, I mean, you get that sense from him that that he could just observe the world and and capture it in such a you know beautiful and simple terms. I mean, it's not a difficult read, but I probably. I mean, I give this book away more than anything. Whenever I pass by a used bookstore, I go in and try and find the first <laughs> edition. And so I've owned like seven first editions of this book. And I have a, they released like a 15th and a 25th anniversary edition. Okay. I think right and now I've got a 25th anniversary edition and a first edition sitting on my shelf just waiting let's for see. an opportunity. And, and is the, are there very much differences between the editions? Is there any reason to get a first edition? I prefer the first edition. There are because uh, why? Well, so they uh, he did add a couple of essays to at least the twenty fifth. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure if they added any to the fifteenth, and I don't have one to check right now. Uh, they added a couple of little essays, and then I think you know the copy editors had another go at it. He corrected a couple of things, but I maybe it's just my nostalgia. I got attached to the imperfections in the original essays, and they were. It just felt like somebody sat down at, you know, a keyboard or a typewriter or wherever he wrote his stories and, and just, you know, described what, you know, some story from his life. Uh, and it's funny how the the themes come back around and uh, it just it feels very timeless. So I always try to to encourage people to get a first edition, but that might just be my nostalgia talking. And and, uh, you know you find it useful and, and you go back to it. And what do you get from rereading it these days? Uh, I mean, it, it depends on, they have, uh, he has it sort of broken down into a couple of different sections. Uh, there's, you know, some on relationships, there's some that's just uh, general life stuff, there's holiday stuff, but, you know, broadly speaking, it's just a reminder to, to sort of stop and smell the roses or appreciate life as it's coming or, you know, also, on this year in particular, it's been that sense that, you know, it's all happened before and it'll probably all happen again. You know, the hard times are not unique to right now. You know, what we're going through right now certainly feels unprecedented. Uh, and that word has been so, so overused. But uh, I think that's it's really just comforting. It's comforting. It, it reconnects me to my own humanity to other people's humanity. It, it has this ability to sort of uh, take you out of your shoes and put you in someone else's. It's, uh, it's empathy in a, in a okay. book of essays. There you go. That's a great summary. Uh, book of empathy, empathy 
booster. Yeah. So, so I've heard yeah. it, but I've never read it before. But uh, now that you recommend it, I, I feel like I, I want to read it now. Yeah, I mean, at the very least, you can find several of the essays online. I mean, the uh, all all I need to know I learned in kindergarten. I that one is is so popular. Like I said, I, I remember having a poster that had sort of the the basic list from the essay. Uh, like as a kid, I had the poster in my room. Um, it's so weird to think about. I mean, that was when I was in, I think like middle school well, huh. you and you and he go way back then. yeah yeah i connected and i'm i feel bad i've never picked up any one of his other books i mean he's made plenty of money off me i've bought like 10 copies of this one book but well he probably uh, doesn't make any money from those unless if they're used copies that's that's a good point i'm, I'm a terrible terrible person uh, no, yeah. no 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 i'm just saying so you've you've spread the wealth around um, i need to go uh i need to, to go to his website see if i can I wonder if he's still how he's doing, whether he's still going. And um, I checked in with his website. I don't know. Like uh, I, I, I check in with his with him every little while. He's one of those people that I would love to meet. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. one of those writers I'd love to meet before it's too late. You know, I felt yeah. that way about Oliver Sacks, and then and then he passed away. Yeah, uh, who's an amazing neuroscientist and writer, and yeah, he uh, was. He was amazing in many levels. Oh man. So so, um, Dio, tell us about your second. Um, uh, tool choice here. What um, what's another thing that you're um, really uh, really want to recommend? Uh, so this uh, is a little bit more on the creative side. Uh, like as you know, I you know uh, was the editor in chief of Petapixel for a while, so wrote for photographers and and creatives, and you know consider myself a creative for better or worse uh, as well. And one of the things that I stumbled across. As while doing reviews and covering gear, was uh, actually two companies called XP Pen and Huion uh, that originally started out as uh, as sort of knockoffs of Wacom products. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, I'm and, I don't know. for the uh, our listeners out there, a Wacom tablet is like a little small, maybe the size of a well, it can be different sizes, like a book. It's flat. It's a tablet that has a a, a corresponding pen that you draw on. So it's not a screen, but it's uh, a little work surface that you can draw on that transfers the drawing to your computer in some way. So that's what it makes. Yeah. So you use the pen as your mouse, essentially, and the pen has some crazy number of levels of sensitivity. It's like 8,023, which I have no idea what, how they ended up on that exact number. But uh and you have like uh, like you were saying, there's several different sizes, uh, and they they do they create they have pen tablets, which is what you described, which is just a work surface that's meant to interact with the pen and potentially with your hands um, as well. And then there are pen displays as well, uh, which is essentially just a little mini secondary monitor that is meant to interact with that same pen. And and in some ways. Um iPads these days also perform the same function because you can get a stylus for an iPad and you can draw on the iPad in the same way. So there's a little bit of an overlap. Oh yeah, there is for sure. And, and, uh, it's, it kind of has to be mentioned now in every review of a Wacom product or, or one of these products that you also, if you happen to have an iPad around, you know, give sidecar a a try, or there's a few other, there's AstroPad and a couple of other apps and, um, dongles and ways to connect an iPad and, have it serve as a secondary display with that same input. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but so, for, so is that what Sidecar is? Sidecar is an app that will take your um, iPad and and use and connect it to your computer. Is that the idea? Uh, so Sidecar is actually built into Apple's ecosystem now. It was an update that Apple pushed themselves, and it's it's you have to have a slightly newer computer. It has to be one of the ones that I think has Touch ID because the security chip that's built in has something to do with it. Mm-hmm. But uh, if you have one of the slightly newer laptops, like the ones with the touch bar, um, and you have almost any iPad that's um, uh, Apple Pencil enabled, you can activate Sidecar and it will turn your iPad into a secondary display, um, either over Bluetooth or over USB, uh, to be able to draw directly in it as a secondary display. Uh, so that's cool. actually a completely free thing if you already own an iPad. There are a couple of apps and and hardware solutions as well that do the same thing and you know purport to have more features or less latency or you know various uh, odds and ends, but they've been kind of in trouble since Apple installed Sidecar. I see. So tell us about XPen and, and where that fits into this ecosystem. So uh, XP Pen and Huion are um, are like I said, they started out life as sort of crappy Wacom knockoffs. You know, for the longest mm-hmm. time, they, you know, they had these. Their styluses used batteries. Wacom's famously don't, and uh, and they were they were unreliable or they had issues with software. And then over the last probably five years, they've just been releasing products that are. I mean, essentially on a feature level, just as good, just as functional as anything that I've ever reviewed or tried from Wacom, but at a third the price or less uh, for most of it. And so it used to be that you would have to spend $200, $250 to get a really good pro quality pen tablet from Wacom. And still now an Intuos Pro costs, I think, between $200 and $400, depending on the size. And you can get similar functionality for as little as 60 bucks uh with some of these xp pen and huion tablets that's uh, crazy and and so the xp pen and the huion tablets there are two separate companies one makes a pen and one makes a tablet there isn't the same kind of thing where wacom where they make the pair together oh no they're they're both full featured companies so you can buy xp pen tablets that come with the displays or you can buy huion tablets i just i mentioned them both because they're they're really hard to distinguish from one another, to be honest. I mean, you can, if you read reviews or if you actually, you know, try out, try them out, they're, they've all reached a level of feature parity where it really comes down to like, well, whose software do you like better? And, you know, whose pen feel do you like better? But they all perform the same function and do it exceptionally well. And it's just, it's really lowered the bar to, and the barrier to entry uh, for artists and photographers who want to get into digital art or, or, you know, take photo editing past the mouse. So I, I'm a very kind of occasional, um, user of the Wacom tablet. And I used to have a very large one and I was persuaded, and I didn't use it very much. I was persuaded by Scott uh, McLeod, the, 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 the cartoonist guy to get a really smaller one. Mm -hmm. Um, because he said that's all he used, um, to do, you know, he worked on it every day, all day. And that was a real game changer for me was actually to going with a small one because I turned out that I could do all I need to do on a really small size one. Have you found that, that that as well or do you prefer a larger scale one? 
Uh, so it's interesting for, I, I have dabbled a little bit in digital art and trying to learn how to sketch and draw and paint on, um, uh, within, you know, Photoshop and Illustrator. And for those purposes, I like a big surface because you need to be able to, you know, when you draw, if you want to draw a straight line, you should really be drawing from your shoulder, not from your wrist. Um, but when it comes to photo editing, I completely agree. I think you can get one of the smallest sizes uh, and just, you know, make sure it's got the pressure sensitivity and the, the features that you want. But it's nice because A, it's cheaper and B, you can just toss it in, you know, any bag and take it with you and have it everywhere. Um, I mean, there is something really nice about working on one of the big displays. Actually, I recently reviewed one of, um, it was XP pens, like 27 or 24 inch pen displays. It was a, you know, 2k quad HD resolution display with this pen functionality. And there's something incredibly engrossing about editing a, a photo or doing a drawing directly on the screen you're working on and really not having to pull yourself out of that experience or even use a keyboard at all because they've got enough little, you know, express keys and things that you just kind of get uh, get really engrossed in the whole experience. But for for most photo editing tasks, especially, I, I completely agree. I think the a small little portable pen tablet is more than good enough for 99.9% of, of things you have to do. And the X-Pen and Huon would make one of those small tablets. They do. Well. They actually have a, a broader range as, you know, most sort of third party companies, uh, they throw more products at the wall than the, the big established OEMs. And so they have a ton of different size variations and levels and, uh, and price points that you can, you can choose from. And I, uh, you know, coming up on the holidays, I keep thinking about, you know, what I want to buy for some of my, uh, close friends who are into photography. And it's one of the biggest things you can do for yourself to, to make photo editing more sort of fun and enjoyable is to have one of these tablets. But, uh, it's nice to be able to only spend like 60 bucks and get something solid. I see that, Amazon has like an XP pen and tablet six by four inches, which is what we were kind of a small one talking about for $40. Yep. Um, so that's, that's a great price. Yeah. It's, it's really wild that, you know, and it, and it used to be that the price sort of indicated that it was a, you know, subpar product. Um, but over the last few years, they've really just, gotten to the point where it's just as good and it's really hard to recommend you know there are reasons obviously usually to go with the big brand names you know your customer support is usually going to be a little bit more robust and but in the end it's for what you're doing you know i can buy like five of these for what i'm going to pay for a wacom tablet and break five of them by the time i need to buy another one and this one also has your eight thousand levels of pressure yep. <laughs> Eight thousand one hundred ninety-two. So uh, I don't know where yeah, they're, they're, that's the number, and you'll see that everywhere. And I do not know how they got there. I'm sure there's a there's a mathematical reason somewhere. <laughs> okay, so that's a great second uh, choice. Give us another um, um, tool that you're enamored of. Uh, so this is this is a recent one for me, and I know you guys have uh, have had several people on who love Scrivener. Yeah, I'm a Scrivener uh, fan too. Yeah, big Scrivener nerds, and I'm not. Uh, I've I've never actually used Scrivener, but it um, it seems almost too feature rich for me. I'm just you know I'm this lowly blogger. I usually just get on and write one or two drafts. I don't 
you know. Yeah, I, it's, it's, it's good for long form when you're writing a book that has, mm-hmm. you know, 8,000 pages or 8,000 parts. Yeah. So, yeah. so what's uh, your, your suggestion is, 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 uh, um, uh, tell us about your suggestion. So, uh, my suggestion is, is an app called IA writer and, uh, it's, it's similar to, to sort of like Scrivener or drafts, or there's a few different options out there that a lot of people like to, to try out. But the idea is that it's a writing application that's made specifically for writers meant to help you focus on what it is you're writing. And then it gives you a few uh, output options and export options and that are really, really useful for me. So it's, it functions as a, ideally as a markdown uh, writer and editor. So uh, you write in this format called Markdown uh, that can export to HTML or export to PDF really easily. And you use various combinations of, of uh, hashtag or pound sign, depending on uh, how old you are, what you call it. And uh, uh, and asterisks to, to do things like italicize and, you know, create headings. And it um, has various focus modes that let you focus in on individual sentences or individual paragraphs. I'm not sure what focus mode means. What, what do you mean you focus on? Uh, um, so as you're writing, you can turn you can turn it on to two different uh, what they call focus modes, where it will dim, um, sort of dim and fade into the background everything that isn't. Uh, you know, selected to be focused. So you can turn it on to a sentence level focus or a paragraph level focus. And the only thing that is sort of bright and in your face and that you can read well is the sentence or the paragraph you happen to be working on. Huh. So for shorter form work, that comes in really handy because you can easily keep getting distracted and running back and changing things and really keeps you focused on what you're writing. Uh, but what I appreciated most about it for me personally, almost everything that I do or that I've done over the last eight years has been published through either Medium or WordPress. And uh, the, it actually, they have built-in functionality, at least on the iOS version uh, or on the, the uh, pardon me, macOS version, where you can connect directly into your WordPress account or your medium account and you can export drafts you can write drafts in that markdown style and you can export drafts directly into uh both of those services and so it just creates this seamless writing workflow for me uh which is why i was never a fan of any other kind of writing tool you know writing in word writing in a plain text document writing in anything always ended up needing to copy and paste and mess with formatting later and do all of this Mm -hmm. stuff so is it how how collaborative is is there a cloud version of it because that's i mean most or not most but a lot of orgs i know that they're in the publishing or using cloud-based um documents in some ways because you want an editor working on the same one maybe at the, you know instead of having to make copies of things you're working on the on the original do do they have a uh, collaborative tools no, so that's one of the things that that sort of IA writers kind of dinged on anytime you read like reviews of the various types is that there's no collaboration aspect. It's really just a pared down sort of word processor and editor for individual writers and and more so targeted, I guess, towards essayists and bloggers, which is why it really appeals to me. 
Um, you know, and nothing, <laughs> nothing that I write ends up getting seen by an editor or by another editor until it's been submitted or put into one of these platforms that I'm Was, really, you guys really, uh, you didn't have an editorial pass. <laughs> uh, no, I, wow. I writing, that's very impressive. You've, you've just elevated written. two notches in my, cause that's, <laughs> that's amazing that. Exactly. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, my, I, I am my, I'm the writer, I'm the copy editor and I'm the, the, uh, the proofreader before something gets published. So for me, it's more important that I have the writing environment that's really useful for right. myself. Sure. That makes sense. An iWriter and that works, does it, it works on the Mac and Windows and the iOS or what? Yeah. So the reason I went with IA Writer, I was I was considering a couple of different options, IA Writer and Drafts being the two big ones, uh, primarily because of their ability to sort of export HTML and and get everything out. And uh, I uh, I ended up going with IA Writer because they have a Mac OS version, a Windows version, an iOS version and an Android version. Um, and with the reviews I do, I'm you know, right now I have two Apple laptops and a Windows laptop that I'm currently using, you know, alternating between. Um, and I really need to be able to access my writing on every platform. Now, what's this thing with the color syntax thing? I'm seeing something that said it can like identify verbs and adjectives and stuff like that. Do you use that? Uh, so I have uh, I've not dived into that. Um, that so much one of the things i mean there's a couple of things that i've uh i've started to play around with like the windows version uh, has a couple of features that the mac os version doesn't and the mac os version has a couple of features the windows version doesn't but uh like on the windows side you can um you can set writing goals you can you know uh look different things up there's a, a bunch of different uh different features that are built into the windows side that aren't built into the mac side and then on the mac side you can do the exporting to medium or exporting to wordpress uh that i've come seen found mm -hmm. really handy but uh, i haven't actually used the uh the feature that you're describing okay it sounds interesting it's like it will help you sharpen your writing if you're like using too many verbs or adjectives or something it helps you identify them yeah and i know scrivener has something like that i think uh, as well like repeated words that mm -hmm. that uh, that you're using a lot which uh that you know over time i mean when i started and for the vast majority of my career i've always written inside the cms which you know when i say that to another blogger they usually cringe Oh, I would just open up WordPress and that's where my drafts live. <laughs> mm -hmm. I, I identify with that. I can identify with that. That's how I do it on Boing Boing. I, I just use the CMS. It's funny, but like you, you say that and like it's, there are there are people who will call you a heathen for doing that kind of thing. I mean, how dare you? That's so uh, funny. But uh, this changed things. Um, and, and so with IA... Uh, are you still writing? Would you still write in the CMS or would you write in IA now? Has, has that changed? Uh, yeah, I do my final edit pass in the CMS, but I will write my draft and do my first few edits uh, within. I do all my major editing and all my major drafting within IA Writer, and then I'll uh, export to WordPress thinking that's my final draft, but sort of like any creative, you know, the it ends up being final and then final, final, and then final, actually final, and then. <laughs> Uh, right. So I end up doing a couple more editing passes uh, within the uh, within the CMS as well. Just I guess old habits die hard. Okay. 
So, Dio, tell us about your fourth um, cool tool. Uh, okay, so this uh, this one, I, I think I'd mentioned it to you over uh, email, Kevin, and I, I wasn't I wasn't even sure if it was a good uh, good pick. I'm starting in the neuroscience lab. It's been really amazing because you know suddenly I have access to it. I'm working with all of these things, the, all these tools that you just absolutely cannot possibly afford as an individual in the real world. Uh, you know, various electron microscopes and different things, but uh, we. I actually also have a, a really incredible adaptive optics system that is essentially entirely custom built. There is no other one in the world like it. So there's there's a few things like that that we work with. But um, the fourth tool that I picked is uh, is actually a Leica confocal microscope, uh, and I think it's you know the last generation. Uh, it's the the SP8, and they've released a new uh, version of it. What does but, confocal microscope mean? What does that mean? Yeah, so uh, for those who aren't familiar, a confocal uh, laser scanning microscope, which is the standard type, there's a few different types, but your typical confocal microscope, uh, the idea is that it it does sort of two things. The confocal part is that it is, uh, instead of a, a regular light microscope, will show you as far as the light can penetrate into a uh, you know a piece of tissue, something that you're looking at. Whereas a confocal uses this tiny pinhole that you can actually uh, adjust to th basically throw out all of the information that isn't in focus. And so it allows you to do almost like a, what a CT scan does, where you can take slices of, you know, you can move through the, through the Z plane, you can move through three dimensions and look just at that one plane of, of tissue, even in an incredibly thin piece of, of tissue. And you can move through these planes and you can capture images and then reconstruct it. And so by doing that, it increases... Um, your contrast a lot uh, for, you know, most tissue is see-through. <laughs> um, and then uh, the other thing that most confocals, the, the laser scanning part of confocal laser scanning microscope, the other thing that they do is they'll come equipped with any number of different laser options that will scan across the tissue and, um, and activate or uh, stimulate any kind of uh, fluorophore or, you know, thing that you stain the tissue with um, that will glow is an after effect of being hit by this laser. And so it'll do this laser pass and then immediately do a pass with the camera to capture what's glowing. And so the, what's really cool about these, not only is it just incredible technology because you've got like eight lasers at your disposal and you can tag your tissue with four or five different fluorophores and then you can go through and <laughs> stimulate the tissue and pull out this all of these different individual bits that are being activated and they all come out different colors and you can stack them together and the results are, are just otherworldly um so for example we work with um we work with a lot of retina obviously we do uh visual we're doing vision sciences and so you can have a piece of retina that has some neurons that are filled, and then you use a special stain to just tag the nucleus of various um, of you know every cell in there. And then you can add another stain that just tags your blue sensing cone photoreceptors. And then you put this tissue underneath the confocal and you run three different lasers on it that will stimulate these three different tags. 
and capture each of these as a different color that you can then stack on top of each other. So the the way the confocal works is it's kind of like a depth of field in photography, which is a very shallow depth of field, mm-hmm. right? Because you're the other layers of depth are being ignored, and you're and you're just mm-hmm. and then you're stacking, you're focus stacking those images that are in focus, but but you also have this additional thing of you have a laser. Which is mm-hmm. which is stimulating these um, fluorescent compounds, but that's kind of separate from the confab itself, right? Or con- yeah, that's the it, the two sort of go hand in hand and have always kind of gone hand in hand. But yeah, the those are the two major functions of it. And so yeah, you're the the stacking the focus stacking happens after the fact. But as you're going through, the nice thing is that you can look at just one layer and move through just that one layer without any of the other stuff getting in the way. And then you can look at the next little layer down and the next little layer down. So if you were um, using a microscope for other reasons other than looking at tissues, would a confocal microscope be useful? It's primarily a biological sciences thing because, you know, most, uh, you know, the the sort of traditional original function, I think, of a confocal was to increase contrast. And so when you're looking through unstained tissues, you know, under a regular light microscope, everything is just clear with a you know little gray, gray boundaries. And you're trying to make out the contrast there because you're basically getting everything. Everything's being flooded with light. Huh. Whereas the confocal allowed you to just look at one slice and have that slice be very high contrast. And then you add in the, these, you know, laser mechanisms and it's just really cool to be able to pull out only one specific bit of the thing you're looking at, but it's not, I'm, at least I don't know of a lot of uses for it outside of the biological sciences. And what kind of magnifications are you talking about? Uh, well, so we have, you have your, your 10x air optic that we sort of start with. Um, and by air optic, it just means that there's, there's only air between the front element of the lens and the tissue. Um, but then you quickly move beyond that. Uh, so we have our next is a 20x optic, and that's an oil optic. Uh, so you have to put a drop of oil on the slide. And then the front element actually makes contact with the oil droplet and that creates a connection that allows it to get that magnification and have it be sharp. Mm-hmm. But 10X and 20X, those, are, those aren't really super high um, levels of magnification. In fact, I have a little, um, I have a 10X uh, triple magnifier in my hand right here. It's, and so, 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 so those aren't really super high, is that right? Yeah, no, they're not anything crazy. So you do, I mean, the highest we go is, I think we have a 63X optic that's also an oil, and then there's a 40X uh, water optic. Um, but it's not, the the idea of a confocal, unlike an electron microscope, which can get to just unbelievable magnifications that are, are sort of uh, not reachable by, by standard light microscopy, the idea is more about how the confocal captures uh, captures that light and what it can do as opposed to getting closer to the tissue that you're looking at. Okay. So um, Leica makes these, the one that you're talking about, The is there a particular model that you're talking about? Just if somebody out there wanted to have one of these in their lab, um, what would they do? 
Uh, well, so Leica, uh, the current version, I think, of the Leica is just called the Stellina, which is the newer version of what we're using. Uh, we use the Leica TCS SP8, and it's uh, and it's uh, they're not they're not cheap. I think they start around two hundred grand, uh, <laughs> and then from that point on, you have to start adding things. So you can add different photo detectors. So you know, ours you can add a plethora of lasers and all sorts of things. So I think ours works with, you know, five different lasers that we can use to stimulate the tissue. And then we have five different uh, detectors. So three photomultiplier tubes and two high D detectors, which I think are just CMOS sensors uh, with various sensitivities and things that you can use so that you can capture multiple, um, multiple layers at the same time. Essentially they work, it works so quickly that you can scan the whole piece of tissue over and over again, stimulating it with a different laser each time. Okay. Um, we'll include a link to, to these microscopes so you can see the kind of, uh, it's a very technical kind of images rather than being pretty. They're, they're, they're most often, as you suggested, they have compounds injected into the tissues and those compounds mm. will reflect different kinds of tissue. So it's a way of, kind of x-raying the tissue for the different components rather, exactly. rather than looking for something pretty. And so that's where your depth um, matters because you can kind of um, distinguish these with different colors. Yeah, you can distinguish individual things you're looking for. But I mean, one of the cooler aspects of it uh, is just the the colorful, the sort of uh, is how pretty the the final image can look so like Nikon does a small world competition every year, which is their microscopy um, and, you know, ultra macro competition. And every year the winner is a confocal image. Um, like this year was a zebra fish. And I think it's skeleton was tagged with one type of fluorophore that was blue and its lymphatic vessels were tagged with a different fluorophore that they interpreted as orange. And so you've got this, sort of iridescent blue orange outline of a fish that shows where all of these vessels exist. And, you know, on the one hand, it's incredibly pretty. And uh, on the other hand, it's also, it was actually a groundbreaking image because it proved that these vessels existed in the fish's skull that they didn't know about. Wow. So DL, you, you've, um, you know, you've left um, Petapixel. Now you are doing your PhD, but you also have a newsletter yeah, yeah. So I, um, I sort of uh, over time have gotten a little bit uh, burnt out on the daily news grind uh, and kind of decided to to return to my science roots. Uh, and so I'm working in this lab on the way to get my PhD. But yeah, you know, the writer in me will never die. And so I, um, I started a newsletter called uh, Triple Point, which is uh, I describe it as a weekly roundup of the most interesting stories from the intersection of art, science, and technology. Sounds like something I would like to know about. Yeah, that is this good. a Substack newsletter, or where, where, where do we find it? Yeah, it's a it's a Substack newsletter. It's just triplepoint.substack.com, uh, and I've I've done it's every Saturday, uh, and I'll round up usually between five and ten of the most interesting stories that week from the worlds of you know science, technology, art makes its way in there as well because I. I, I've always been torn between these two worlds, and I, I, I'd like to do my little part to break down that wall. Um, and is it is it a free newsletter right now, or do you have it paid, or how does that work? 
Uh, it's a free newsletter right now. It's just a, a labor of love, something that I'm doing because I, I am really interested in this stuff and I'd, I'd love to share it with other people who are really interested. Um, and especially All now, come out. Uh, once a week, every Saturday, um, not at a particular time because there mm -hmm. are times when I've published it at 8 p.m. and times when I've published <laughs> it at 10 a.m., but, uh, mm -hmm. but every Saturday I'm, I'm committed to putting this out. Cool. Cool. Yeah. So, um, um, yeah, it, this sounds like, um, a really great intersection. I'm, I don't think there's that many publications that are kind of in that trifecta. So that's really great. Um, we'll point readers to that. And, um, it's, is this the best place for people to kind of follow you right now? Uh, I mean, the the newsletter is is where I'm kind of producing the most work. I also uh, I publish some personal essays on occasion through Medium, um, and that's just my username is just DLKed there. Um, and uh, and then I'm trying to be a little bit more active on Twitter uh, without losing my mind, uh, <laughs> and that's also DLKed. Uh, that's that's its own challenge. Sure. Well, this has really been great. Um, I've just signed up for Triple Point, and um, I wish you great luck in your pursuit of a PhD in neuroscience. We we need more scientists, and um, I'm glad you're taking the challenge. So, um, thanks for sh uh, sharing your tools on Cool Tools as well. So yeah, great chatting yeah, with you, DL. Yeah, yeah. it's great talking to you guys too. Thank you so much for the for the invite. It's uh, it was it was hard to narrow it down to four. I'll I know it one. always is. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure for you guys more than anyone. Hey, everybody, it's Mark from the Cool Tools podcast. I want to thank you for being a listener to Cool Tools, and I also would like to let you know about our Patreon page. If you would like to support the Cool Tools show as well as our video channel, the website and all the newsletters that we do, you can go to patreon.com slash cool tools. That's just one word, cool tools, and pledge any amount you want. You could even pledge a dollar a month. Every little bit helps. We have editors. We pay for transcribing costs. We pay our reviewers. Every bit of money that you contribute goes towards supporting the show. I'd like to give a shout out to our supporters of the Cool Tools podcast. This week, I'd like to thank the following Patreon supporters. Bill Schuler, Bob Kay, Brian Pelly, Carl D. Patterson, Chad Cosby, Chris Wheeland, Chris Weirstook, Craig Tooker, Dan O'Brien, Dean Putney, Donnell Cunningham, Evan Barker, Graham Medlin, Hans Riesbeck, Helen Hegedus, Jerry Kearns, Jim Lesko, Jim Spofford, John Pollock, John Burdenbaugh, Keith O., Ken Altman, Les Howard, Lauren Bast, Mock Nerd, Malton Make, Mark Goebel, Matt Gromes, Michael Douglas, Michael Jones, and Michael Pecorini. Thanks to all of you for supporting the Cool Tools Show. We really appreciate it.